0: I guess what happened is Brielle has taken the mantle, my two-year-old has taken the mantle from my seven-year-old, and has started to cause trouble. So what she had done, and we learned, we definitely learned from this, because Jada has done this in her past, she uh, went inside our camper, we have a little bunk camper, and then there's a lock, but there's also a deadbolt, and we didn't have spare keys, so our little two-year-old Jada was locked in the camper with, you know, that just gives you, freaks you out, and there's Everything from a stove in there to you can cause a flood with the washroom, whatever. So all sorts of panic. It took us forever the other time. So we, Jody and I, have gotten so much wiser and smarter. So now we have a spare key, but the spare key is in my truck, and my truck is down on the beach enjoying pizza with me. So Brielle has locked herself in my little uh, cabin or in my um, camper with a three-year-old. So don't worry. She's with a three-year-old. So there she is, and now all of a sudden, all of the ladies and others are starting to rumble and wonder, how can we do this? Oh, wait, Steve has a spare key in his truck, and he's not answering his phone. So everybody's starting to get hyped up, and then it got way worse when all of a sudden my two-year-old, who is becoming potty trained, says, mommy, through the closed and padlocked door, mommy, I got to go number two. Well, isn't that exciting? So, if you can imagine the whole campground here coaching a three-year-old, can you please grab that little baby Brielle? Can you please put her on the potty? And can you, you know, it's just, I would have loved to have been there, but I'm glad I wasn't. <laughs> and then, I hear the story later, they couldn't get, there's no way they could get in. And then finally we realized that one of these beautiful ladies that was with us, this lovely lady who you, you, you would never guess, a fantastic woman, she grew up in uh, Bridgeview or in Wally or whatever, And she finally rolled up her sleeves, and she went over to my lock and picked it, no problem, and opened the door. (laughs) Wow. And you would never guess who that was. Lovely lady, but obviously grew up in Bridgeview. (laughs) But it kind of got me thinking, uh, when Caden was born, Caden's almost 10 now, my niece sent me this. Uh, My niece actually made this by hand. She obviously got her, her mother's gifts and this is absolutely awesome. It's a, a beautiful s- display of color and the little, little animals that all the children would be attracted to and, and dads. But what blows me away is how beautiful and perfect this looks until you turn it around. And then you see the kind of mess it is. <laughs> and I think of that when it comes to our stories or in Christianity, sometimes we call it testimonies. Is that so often you see the beautiful woman... But there's a background to her, or you see what God has done, or you go, Wow, I wish I could be like that family, but you don't realize what they've gone through to get there. So, today I want to explore a little more. Uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, Weston has been doing a good job at looking at Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of our lives and the cornerstone of the church. And how he can either trip us up or he is the foundation of how we can experience true community, true Christian community. And what does that look like? And it's hard because we don't always like each other. But we're the church. We're the bride. We've been bought by an incredible price by when Christ died on the cross to set us free. We can reconnect with God. We have each other now. And it's just absolutely incredible. Last week, we celebrated with VBS, which was so fun. It was a fantastic week we had. And it was The theme was um, created by God for a purpose or something like that. I paraphrase. But we are created by God and we're created for a purpose. And that also reminds me of that tapestry that each one of us has a story. Each one of us has a testimony. And sometimes you might go, oh, I'm glad nobody knows that about me. But perhaps sometimes that part of your story would be helpful for somebody to know because they're going through the same thing now. But what it really does highlight is how God is so terribly involved and crazy about us. He loves us so much. We use that grace word that He has sent. God has sent His Son Jesus to not only die on the cross for our sins and to give us new life, but more than that, He now apparently has a job for us to do. And that's where we want to land today. We want to turn. If you want, turn with me to Ephesians chapter uh, two. And we want to be looking at a job that he has for us to do. No matter what the other side of your tapestry looks like, no no matter where you've been, he's concerned about your now and where you're going. So before we jump in, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for uh, my kiddos and all the stories they give me. And I love it because they too are a tapestry. My kiddos uh, are part of my story and part of God's story and I love it how you take people, you take us, and some of us have ugly backgrounds, some of us have interesting backgrounds, some of us, we all have backgrounds. And yet you make a beautiful tapestry. In fact, I'd like to go as far as to say that when you bring us together, this motley crew of people, we have a beautiful afghan, we have a beautiful blanket here, we have a beautiful poem here. This is art right here. And each one of us, we come from different geographical backgrounds, different thought lives, different philosophies and all that stuff, and we come together, and you love this, Lord. Jesus, you call this your bride. So I thank you for that, and I ask that you would continue to stimulate us in how we can continue to think differently and how we can continually continually live differently and continually do differently because of who we are in Jesus Christ. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So if you ever have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be concentrating on verse 10, but I've got to give you some of the background, so we'll start at 2 verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. Do you guys have it back there for me? Okay. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you had once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons and daughters of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, oh, I love that. Anytime you see but in scripture, you pay attention, B-U-T. But God, so it's, it's painting this picture of, oh my goodness, this is depressing. But verse four, but God, being rich, in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So did you get that? Even when we were dead, even when we were in pollution, even when we just served ourselves, even when we were selfish, even when we would just throw up our fists at God, I don't care, I don't like you, God, whatever it might be, it's all about me, even when, but God, we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your doing, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that nobody can boast. For we are his workmanship. Highlight this, or underline this, or memorize this, whatever it might be. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I'm going to give a caution right now, because I'm going to be pumping that we need to be doing stuff, but in my background, I'm a German guy, a Mennonite guy, what sometimes happens is that we think we can do and we can walk so that God notices us and then loves us. We do nice things so that, oh, yay, I'm in with God. I get to go to heaven. That's not what we're talking about today. Here we're talking about a response that Jesus Christ loves you so much that he died on the cross for your sins, and you, by faith, turn toward him. You say, I need this. Yes. And now we walk differently. We respond. Because of who we are in Christ, we respond by doing. That's what this is talking about. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In a the New Living Translation, it says this, for we are God's masterpiece. Isn't that wonderful? We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he had planned for us a long time ago. Or the New, uh, new International Version. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So whatever word you want to use, we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. We are his handiwork. In fact, he uses the wording that in English we translate poem. So we are his poems. Isn't that cool? That's why even as a church, if you've noticed in the back, we've got a bunch of art back there. We want to celebrate art because we worship the artist. Right? So even our artists who work back there... They're not hoping that you'll fall in love with them and their art pieces. They're hoping that if you transcend beyond that and realize that they're using their gifts to honor Father God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the artist. We are his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So after building a whole case for grace in the verses that I just talked about, for by grace you've been saved through faith, now the writer of Ephesians, the book that we just visited, makes it really clear that good living and proclaiming Jesus through action is a big deal. It is a big deal. And this is a tough one for me because I grew up in a culture where sometimes your faith is totally your own. And I understand that. Is Christ has done a good work and now just put your head down and start plowing the fields and um, take care of your family and it's a quiet faith. You read your Bible, but nobody else knows you're a Christian. I understand that. But it seems as though There's still things that if you're one of those quiet, faith-living kind of persons, that there's still stuff that you can do that still bring glory to God, build up the church, and what I really want to focus on today, also you're a part of scattering the seeds of good news to some folks that have never, ever heard this. You guys, we live in White Rock, or South Surrey, or Surrey, or Langley Ocean Park. There is a ton of people that have no clue who Jesus is. He's a swear word. And I'm not kidding. There is a ton of people around us that have no clue what Jesus Christ is. And their only education is when they maybe read about Trump or read about what some fundamentalist Christian did somewhere. And it just makes me so sad because a relationship with Christ reflects so much more than just some fundamental crazy stuff that the media has presented. How do we walk with Christ And in so doing, it shows through our actions, and people can see it by what we do, and people can hear it by even how we treat one another. So I think one of the best places for us to start is to ask that question, who are we? Who are we? We're classic at answering that question by, I'm a plumber, or I'm a pastor, or whatever it is. And let me tell you, I just had a conversation with my with my father-in-law and also a guy that his whole life has been mill, mill work, mill, 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 work hard, work hard, work hard. In fact, he's 76 years old, and by the time he's 80, he wants his mills, get this, he wants, by the time he's 80, he wants his mills to be running one billion board feet, one billion board feet a day. And we're going like, what? Me and Norma are asking him, how old are you now? 76, what? And how much are you running right now? Half a billion board feet. So this guy was go, 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 go. But it totally stopped the conversation when he turned finally toward me and says, so what do you do for work? I'm a pastor. A what? A padre. A what? A priest. A what? A minister. Oh, yeah, well, we all got to do something. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's just a conversation killer right there. Oh, man. Remember who you are. Remember who we were, perhaps. Because when I'm asking this question, who are we? Maybe it's good to remember who were we? Or who would we be without Jesus Christ? Maybe that's where we should start. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who would we be? 1 Corinthians 5 has an incredible portion of Scripture that says this. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So how do we become righteous? Is it by helping old ladies across the street? Or is it by having a living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross? One or two? Thank you. Um, so he says here, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, he's saying to this church in Corinth. Neither the sexual, sexually immoral idolaters, so those that worship stuff or small idols or lots of money, whatever, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. So we're just going, some of you might even be going, yeah, that's right, sock it to them. That list of those horrible people. Gross. And then verse 11. And such were some of you. He spoils it, doesn't it? It's so nice to point fingers. That's what he's saying. Maybe some of you did not do this, but your thoughts were filled of this. And we know that Jesus calls us to a higher standard. He just wants you to know that, you know what? Without me, you can't connect with God. Because each one of us, left to ourselves, we're on a broad road to destruction, and we need Jesus. So he says in verse 11, you heard this list. And such were some of you, but, again, but you were washed, you were sanctified, which means set apart. You were justified, that means you were made righteous, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the spirit of our God. So who were you? Or without Jesus, who could you be? I don't even wanna think that way. I see some relatives of mine. (laughs) I don't wanna become like them kind of thing. And I'm hoping that through love and action stuff, I can draw them closer to what God has called them to be. So back to who are we? For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that nobody can boast. For we are his workmanship, we are his poem, we are his masterpiece, peace created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there's, there's this guy named Neufeld. With a name like that, you've got to pay attention. Neufeld points out both salvation, so being saved by Jesus Christ, uh, is a gracious gift of God. And those who have been saved are God's product or a work of art. And this is the word that they use there. poima, related to the English word poem. So we are his poems. I love it. And we're created in Christ Jesus. One of the translations of the Bible loose, uh, loosely translates this. But accurately, we are what has has made us God's workmanship. So, God has made us this. So, to be brought to life together with Christ is a divine act of rescue, so salvation or saving us from ourselves, and also one of re-creation, a reconstituting of humanity to its intended state, a new creation. So one other guy said, God is always making and he's always saving is just an aspect of his making. So there's this product, there's this do word that God is always making and remaking. So he's remaking us, he's recreating us into who we were supposed to be in the first place. When when he created us with intention, look at the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they were chilling. They were in constant communion with the Lord until sin broke that. And each one of us has sinned. Another part of the definition would be that we are his workmanship or his works of art. His tapestry, which I've kind of shown you already. When we think of ourselves as tapestry, we've got to admit that there's some history to us. And perhaps some ugliness under the surface. The very people that you admire today have been on an incredible journey. Or there's been some incredible work of God in their lives to bring them where they are today. So that should bring you hope if you're struggling with some kind of addiction or if you're struggling with bitterness towards somebody and you're going, I could never be like him. It just seems like he's got the easiest. In fact, you know, look at Ev back there. You know that Ev and, and his dear wife, they've gone through all sorts of surgery and lots of health problems and they both, every time you phone there, she's canning something and he's just got back from coffee. Hey, how you doing? And there's another Gary in here. He's, I met him in the hospital. I told him, next time you go to the hospital, you've got to ask me permission. The guy just got hip surgery done and he's walking around here today. We got working, living pieces of art among us right now. God is doing something marvelous even physically in some of these folks that we have among us. But guess what? Gary? Caroline? Ev? Have they had it so good? They have the joy of the Lord because they've had the easiest lives. (laughs) Not at all. They've had to go through stuff too. And it's often our decision, it's our outlook, it's how we lean into Jesus Christ through those hard times and he promises that he'll never leave us or forsake us even through the times where we feel totally alone. Another beautiful piece of art for me is this right here. This is another blanket. Not a whole big deal on this side. But when you realize the the love that's gone into this side. So I got this when I resigned from my last church. So either they were very happy to see me go. (laughs) Or they loved on me like crazy. So you guys, when I look at this, I see a tapestry of community. I see a tapestry of what God has done in the community. When I look at this, I see this one guy... That, uh, that one guy over there, he was going to a brethren church and whatever, like just kind of figuring out what's going on. And now that guy not only became my intern, he took over the pastorate for me, and now he's actually helping lead a church of about 1,500, 1,600 people. That guy right there. These people here, they apparently the church in Pictureview just baptized one of their kids who's close to 30 years old, but that kiddo was in Sunday school when I was at that church. And it just goes on and on when I see the beauty of this right here. This is a tapestry of all sorts of stories of folks that, peop- that they've come together as the bride of Christ because what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Isn't that amazing? The tapestry, the story, the workmanship, who we are in Christ Jesus There's first points toward being works of art that use our gifts and service to build up the church, but it also points toward us using our gifts and using our relationships and using our relationship with Christ to spread the seed. And how do you spread the seed? Sometimes just by being a part of stuff. I knew one guy that was a pastor and he says, oh, it would be my dream if every day of the night we could be in the church and we, church would be, and I'm just, that's the, my, that's the opposite, that's my nightmare you're going, what? You know, I want you out. I want me out. I want you to be rejuvenated here on a Sunday morning. Now get out and live life. Bring hope to people. Build relationships. Go to the hospitals. Hang out with people. Go for a walk on the beach and notice somebody sitting alone on a park bench. Go out and bring hope to sometimes a hopeless world. That's all you're going to remember today. What is the sermon about? I don't know. Something like, get out. Get out. Not going back there. That place was lame. So with the latter in mind, because we know how to minister to one another, and you've, you've heard my, um, my heart that is that if somebody would come to these windows and they'd look in and go, what do churches do anyway? I hope that they could look in and they'd see us worshiping the Lord, praying for one another, sometimes weeping because we're hurting together, uh, you know, uh, enjoying life together listening to the Word of God, whatever it might be, hanging out with kiddos, I would hope that people can look through those windows and go, wow, that's what the church does? That's cool. But how about also, what do we do outside the church? What do we do? So first of all, remember this. In Galatians 5, humanity is actually viewed as a battleground for forces vying for control. So I said it already in in the first portion of scripture is that our flesh or who we are to ourselves, so Steve without Jesus is very, very selfish. And guess what? I'm still selfish. And there's a battle sometimes for my selfishness to make decisions that more honor my family or my wife, obviously to the glory of God, instead of just me, 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 me. So often there's this battle. Can you attest to that? Am I the only one? Okay, two of us. Excellent. Great. So there is this battle oftentimes. And flesh is, re- is present- presented here in Galatians 5, in verse 3 as well, along with the senses. The sons of disobedience serve their own wishes without hesitation, all the while following orders. So we are actually born into pollution, and we follow that pollution without question, because we don't know we're in pollution. Does that make sense? So I got to say this word, this guy's name, uh, Miroslav Volf. Miroslav Wolf, he say, speaks of this as being colonized by evil. We've heard of colonization a bunch of times, usually in, in, in bad terms, right? Well, here we go again. This is what Miroslav Vulf says. <laughs> We've been colonized by evil, he says. Evil has colonized us to such a thoroughgoing extent that there seems to be no moral space left within self in which it could occur to us to hate what we want because it's evil. We are ensnared by evil, not only with full consent, but without even a thought of dissent and without a sigh for deliverance. With the inner workings of our will in its hold, evil can dispense with force and and rule by, by lure. And so paradoxically, we feel free only in the prison house of our unrecognized evil. Did you get that? So often, we actually feel so at home in our own selfishness, in our own desires, in our own dreams and visions and ambitions, that we don't pay attention and we don't even think twice about the people around us or about what God has created us to be. And this is all of us, me included. And another goes, sadly, we can find a great deal of residual or renewed capacity, Newfold goes on to say, and rebellion within the church In fact, Ephesians acknowledges this. Half of the letter is an exhortation directed toward believers. So he's talking to the church. He's saying, you guys, you still got all sorts of stains. You still got all sorts of selfish desires. You still have so much ambition that you're walking all over each other. The emphasis on mercy and grace and liberation, as well as the call to walk in good works, is directed to people with a relationship with Christ who have trouble staying on this narrow road. Huh. And I love what he goes on to say. We're called to live out our resurrection. So Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. He has bought us at a price to connect back with God. And I love it. He says, he's, uh, in f- we are called to live out our resurrection in full view of all the ages, tirelessly doing good works. We are to perform them, not as weak, powerless, and... Uh, suffering victims, but as the raised and exalted kings and queens of heaven, as it were, as those who participate in the sovereignty of Christ. Did you get that? So he's saying just like, because right now, I don't know if you're feeling it, but sometimes I'm looking around, and I've even experienced with my kiddos, when my kiddos were inviting other kids to VBS, some of them were shut down pretty hard. It's not all that popular to try and live for Christ these days. It's not all that popular to be a Christian. And here, this guy is reviewing that we're actually given this relationship, we're recreated to be who we're intended to be in the first place. And yet some of us are going, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Pardon me? I'm a Christian. What? I'm a Christian. Ugh. We represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Yet so often, me included, I care way more what other people think about me than what, I, what my Heavenly Father thinks about me and what He has empowered me to do. Such royal faithfulness will find expression in loving kindness, forgiveness, meekness, and self-sacrifice. It constitutes nothing less than the imitation of God and His Christ in exposing and transforming the works of darkness and in the quality of domestic love. You know what? If we even take one thing from today and learn to love each other well in the name of Christ, we'd be doing great homework today. If we learn to love our neighbors that bug us, even in our neighborhoods or whatever, if we get involved with folks instead of just being in the walls of this church, if we get involved in things that drive us crazy instead of just bellyaching about it, we can make a huge difference in the name of Christ and help other people get back to what they were made to be. So where do we do it? Who are we? What do we do? And where do we do it? Well, 1 Peter 2, is interesting, says this. Live such good lives among the pagans that though, you accuse, uh, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So here, this verse is even saying that you probably will get beat up and smacked around. People look down on you. People think you're nuts. One of those religious nut jobs or whatever. But he's saying... Continue to live because of who you are in Christ. Continue to do so. And at one point, people will go, you know, even though I couldn't stand that, Steve, and he was, uh, I don't know. Gee, he sure was a good neighbor. Or he sure he sure loved his wife. Or he sure hung out with his kids a lot and loved them. You know what I'm saying? People are still reading us because we are his tapestry. We are his advertisements. We are his masterpieces. We are his walking art pieces and people can see us and see the freedom that they can have in Christ so we live out our calling serving each other and spreading the gospel seed at some point even though some gospel or sorry even though some might gossip or lie about us or even hate us they will glorify God at some point because of our good lives matthew says it like this you're the salt of the earth But if a salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You, my friends, are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good deeds, your good doings, your actions, and glorify your Father in heaven. God has recreated us to be a shining advertisement on display. We reflect God. We reflect His goodness. We reflect His character. So folks, this is hard stuff because I sometimes, one of the worst habits I have sometimes, I get up in the morning and I flick my iPhone to look at the news and then I'm depressed the rest of the day. But I look at some of the things that my kids will have to deal with as they're growing up. Some of the stuff, some of the bazillions of dollars that our government is spending on stuff that are totally against my values. Some of the things that are going on uh, just in world events. Some of the evil atrocities that are going on. And I go, God, how in the world are my kiddos going to navigate this? How in the world? But guess what? He's not asking us at any time to run to the church, run to the building, shut the doors, bar them, close the windows, and now you're safe. He's not calling us to that. He called us out of something, and he called us to something. Now go do it. I mean, this is kind of harsh. This is really saying that if you have a relationship with Christ, you're also doing something. You're doing something. God has recreated us to be a shining advertisement. And sometimes when I say you're doing something, some of you are going, oh, wow. I'm not saying that you gotta be sharpening pencils in our church or you gotta be handing out bulletins or whatever, but you know what? You know when you're involved in kingdom work. You know that sometimes you skip a Sunday morning because you're a fantastic coach. And as a fantastic coach, you are pouring into the lives of little boys or little girls that don't have daddies or moms or whatever, get out there, go. Or you also know that you're part of a book club and you really enjoy it, but you also get to be a masterpiece within that book club and get to help uh, the other ladies in that group when they're having struggles with their marriage, whatever it might be. You get to drive folks, patients, to their cancer appointments. You get to live out hope. Even though you're... You don't have a peachy life. Maybe you're going through marital struggles or your kid's going off the deep end, but still in it, you live with hope, which is crazy these days. You get to enjoy God. I've been reading a bit of Eugene here, and he's been hitting me hard in the way that we gotta learn to enjoy God and realize that God enjoys us. And what does that look like as we go about our lives, as we go about our work, our friendships, our marriages, our child-rearing? What does it look like when God enjoys us, and we enjoy God. Maybe we should enjoy our kids, even though sometimes, (laughs) dot, dot, dot. Are you encouraging to be around? On the whole, I'm not saying you don't have bummer days, but on the whole, do you have a bounce in your step, because no matter the circumstance, because if your joy is based on circumstances, you are hooped, because your circumstances will be taken from you at some point. Your stuff, gone. Wildfires, they are eating up so many people's possessions, are, is your joy caught up in stuff or circumstances or joy in who you are in Christ? Be the best coach you can be. Play hockey. Enjoy your kids at the playground. Become a member of Samyamu Fish Game. Whatever. But get out there and spread seeds because of who you are. Bring hope to a world that needs you. And I love it because he says we are new creations in Christ Jesus and he has work for us to do which he made beforehand he has jobs for us to do to be advertisements wherever we are to shine his light and spread and scatter the seeds i'll leave you with this the late sam shoemaker an episcopalian bishop he summed up the situation in this way he says in the great commission So remember when he calls us out to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? So the Great Commission, he's telling everybody, get out there. He says, in the Great Commission, the Lord has called us to be like Peter, to be a fisher of men and women. Get out there and continue to advertise who you are and live it out so you can become fishers of men and call them back to why they are created. But, he says, we've turned the commission around so that we have become merely keepers of the aquarium. Occasionally I take some fish out of your fish bowl and I put them in my fish bowl. And then I take some of my fish bowl and put them in your fish bowl. But we're all tending the same fish. So pay attention. If your relationships or if you've so isolated yourself or insulated yourself that you're only hanging out with other people from church or you're only hanging out with you know, the Christian school or the church or whatever it might be, eh, pay attention to this. It's time to start doing. Go to a gas station where the guy pumps your gas and get out and start a conversation because you're the light of the world. Start doing in the name of Christ because what he has done in your life and what he wants to do in those around you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you have made us. I mean, lots of us are young and we might not totally connect with that verse that talks about, all the things that we were. But I know that when I sit and daydream sometimes of all the selfish things that I could have been, yikes, I scare me. So Lord, I just pray that you would empower us to live differently. That you would empower us to realize that we're not coming in the name of Steve. We're not coming in the name of White Rock Community Church. We're coming in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the sovereign God of the universe. And in our little way, Lord, we want to serve our neighbors. In a little way, we want to brighten the Save-On Foods Checkout Ladies' Day. In our little way, Lord, we want to walk somewhere instead of drive somewhere so that we can get in conversations along the sidewalk. Lord, somehow help us to sometimes get over ourselves so that when we're having a rough day so that we, we can realize that joy is an attitude we can choose even sometimes when life is lame right now in circumstances. Father, we want to be light for you. We want to be poems for you. We want to be your tapestry and your masterpiece. Thank you for what you've done. And you know what? Thank you for using us. Continue to do so, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.